Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Week 7 Instant Reaction Show will go through game by game every single relevant player covered. I will be honest. I am trying to bring the energy because today absolutely stunk from an injury standpoint. It was brutal out there. But with all of those happenings, with all of these performances, there's going to be trickle down to players and schemes and changes that are going to happen from week eight and on. We're going to try to put that in the best focus we possibly can here today with Hayden Winks and John Daigle of 4 for 4 and Betspurts. Gentlemen, let's start off with Maybe the best matchup of the day, at least the one that included 67 points. Hayden, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers 44-23. to What a performance from Patrick Mahomes against a defense just a couple weeks ago we viewed as a top two or three unit. And this was truly vintage Mahomes in this performance. He was nine of nine on passes that traveled more than 13 yards downfield it was basically a perfect game for him and he could have had more fantasy production if some of those Nicole Hardman jet sweep touchdowns were actually the shovel pass variety that they didn't miss the entire game so Juju Smith-Schuster gets there late in the game uh with a wide open uh touchdown MVS has a deep target caught slightly underthrown MVS is making plays downfield this year but none of them are going for touchdowns still touchdown list that was like the only negative that we we can draw from this Chiefs offense went right through this 49ers defense. They were leading in EPA per play coming into this. They weren't at full strength. Like there was a couple of players that weren't suiting up. A couple of their best players probably aren't at full health. But when this offense is clicking, it doesn't really matter what it is. The only thing problem for us in fantasy land is this running back rotation is still a very much of a three-headed monster. Pacheco does get in there early, but CH very involved. He scores a touchdown. Jarek McKinnon's involved, even when they get in the red zone as well. Let's start there because I I think it's really important to go through this running back room where when we get an overnight report that Rap Sheet tweets out on Sunday morning that Isaiah Pacheco is going to be the starter, everyone gets so amped and excited because they want like the lead back attached to this Chiefs offense. At least from a production standpoint, it just felt like much of the same. Like, did yeah. he even draw the start here? Like, was there any tangible difference that we can read into here? Pacheco was out there first, but this is very much going to be like a hot hand approach. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think Pacheco, he's clearly faster, but CH has been more experienced. I don't think either one of them are going to separate. And right. I, I think basically just CH and Isaiah Pacheco kind of switched roles here. Uh, but it only, it, it really comes back down to like, it's like basically close to 33, 33, 33% between the three running backs. So you got to find the one that scores a touchdown. And a lot of weeks, one will not have a touchdown. And McKinnon was still the third down option and in on two-minute drills. NFL yep. next-gen stats had their snaps as McKinnon 23, Pacheco 18, CEH 17. Talk to me about these wide receivers because it's been frustrating as shit mm -hmm. all season. 
Uh, in fact, I have one home league with buddies who someone dropped Juju Smith-Schuster a few weeks ago during his down spell. Obviously, I picked him up, and now we get it for seven for 124 in a score. As you mentioned, MVS three for 111. Travis Kelsey gets his usual six for 98. And then Miko Hardman pops up here for four, three touchdowns. Um, I saw in the passing chart that you posted that there were two completions of about 40 plus air yards. Like mm-hmm. that is an element that we haven't seen from this team. And like the truly explosive plays have kind of come from Miko Hardman. You said we haven't seen any like, you know, huge 70 yard touchdowns for MVS. But at least you saw one of those deeper completions. And maybe yep. this is something like as we go along, this totally new wide receiver grouping kind of gels in and becomes comfortable and maybe they right. can start hitting some of those explosives down the field. Yeah. I mean, Juju, Juju started the season with no touchdowns up until the last two weeks where he's had a touchdown a piece, but he has one, two, three, four, five games with exactly eight targets. If you have eight targets for Patrick Mahomes, you are at worst a wide receiver three with weekly upside. So he's been making a couple more plays uh, in the last couple weeks, but that's what happens with regression. He was playing way below expectations early in the season. The last couple weeks playing way above it. He'll even out, and I think he'll be like somewhere around the wide receiver two, three border, depending on how many teams are on buys. Talk to me about the opposite end with the San Francisco 49ers. Um, huge news Thursday night, Christian McCaffrey traded. He gets in there for eight carries for 38 yards, as in their two receptions for 24 yards. He's going to get way more than 10 touches yep. moving forward, but he did end this game with the most carries and then. Obviously, those two catches. Anything we can take from how this usage style was different or like how he's looking in this offense? No, it's like very clear that he didn't understand the playbook. The broadcast team was saying like that Jimmy G would like tell him, hey, just like go run over there before the play. And so there was this was very much uh, just scrapping things together. So I, I don't think there's really anything we can learn with Christian McCaffrey's usage um, at all. Uh, yeah, just kind of a throwaway game, just kind of get used to it. Uh, TDP got in there a couple plays earlier than, than normal. Um, but really this is just Jeff Wilson is CMC's backup for next week until Elijah Mitchell gets healthy. Dago, what's your read on that? I mean, Hayden and I have talked about it on two shows this week where to me, Christian McCaffrey, it's about how this team historically has been so good at running the football and their efficiency has been incredible. And mm-hmm. yet this year they've been a better passing team than they have been a running team. Um, just quickly, your expectations from the rest of the way. He was already the RB3 in points per game on an offense running a historically league low in plays per game. Uh, it's Christian McCaffrey. I, I thought people overreacted a sli- slightly when the trade went down, uh, mentioning also like the 49ers training staff and just creating different narratives. It's it's Christian freaking McCaffrey. Like I genuinely, you just don't overthink it. It's yeah. in a much, he's in a much better situation. Yeah. Okay. Last question on this, Hayden, is George Kittle, because it's been a rocky road this year from not playing to not being involved to now in this game having his best of the season with six receptions, 98 yards, and a score. Obviously, this is back-to-back weeks for the 49ers playing in extreme negative game script, You know, yep. especially last week against the Falcons, and then we get it back here this week. Um, is that just the name of the game here with George? That's the key. Yeah, today the 49ers dropped back 46 times. They're not trying to do that, so that's just the way it went for him. A lot of throws over the middle. Jimmy G uh, completed every single one of his passes thrown over the middle. Once he started throwing outside the numbers, things got a little bit wonky. There was no explosive plays from this offense. There's some like George Kittle yards after the catch plays, but really nothing too crazy here. And then Jimmy G had a couple really poor decisions. Quite frankly, his game probably could have been worse in the box score. Obviously that, that safety 
uh, where he felt pressure and then forgot about the pressure and then ultimately got sacked. I don't know what was going on on that play, but yeah, this was a very 49ers offensive game minus they usually have like two or three big plays and they just really didn't have that this week. They cut it to a one score game in the first fourth quarter. The box score just doesn't show it because they had the chiefs pinned down momentum on their side. The crowds back into the game and a third and 11 Marquez Valdez Scantling runs right by Charverius Ward, who for some reason was playing the sticks and wasn't prepared to just run backwards. So even man on man coverage, MVS just literally goes right by him and they pick it up. And that was pretty much the game. And this is a 49ers defense that, unlike a lot of other rosters out there, is getting healthier while everyone else is breaking down. So this was like a legit performance by the Chiefs offense. It's not something like, as we've seen in previous weeks, like the Falcons last week, going up against this 49ers unit. Okay, this is the instant reaction show. You are not responsible for this take, but I'm going to force you to give it. Okay. Rest of season, you can only pick one name. Juju, MVS, or Miko Hardman, who has the most points. Uh, I would I would put Juju as a pretty heavy favorite there. Just the targets right now are not comparable. MVS is living on big plays uh, as usual for the most part, but I, I don't think that McCole Hartman's ever going to see six, seven, eight targets a game. This was like jet sweeps that were successful. Obviously, there's something game plan related why they kept attacking uh, the 49ers defense on the perimeter. That's how CH got his touchdown as well. Um, McCole Hartman, MVS are definitely better in best ball plays. Juju Smith-Schuster, I think I'll be ranking inside the top 30 basically for the rest of the season unless something changes. This is your first time joining us for our reaction show. First, what the hell took you so long? And second, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, and definitely go and check us out on the podcast feed to take it with you either on 444 or in the link in the description down below. We continue on. Let's go over to, oh, John Daigle. Cleveland Browns, Baltimore Ravens. Ravens win this one 23 to 20, but it was very Ravens-like towards the end when they gave the opportunity for the Browns to claw their way back in it. But how did Lamar Jackson and company hold on to this one? As everyone, including Ravens fans, are probably aware, the Baltimore has blown a double-digit lead in the second half of all three of their losses this year. And as you mentioned, nearly did it again. Leading 23-13, less than 10 minutes remaining in the fourth quarter, the Browns respond after a field goal, cut it to a three-point game with a touchdown by Kareem Hunt, and then there's a fumble on the next drive by Justice Hill that gets Cleveland the ball back at their own 16 with three minutes, 12 seconds left to play. But the theme of the Cleveland's season has been them shooting themselves in the foot. And that's what happened again. Uh, a Armari Cooper touchdown negated for offensive pass interference. And then a false start before a snap that would have been a, at least somewhat more makeable 50 plus yard field goal becomes a 60 yard field goal attempt from Cade York to tie the game. Ravens block it, run out the clock. So nearly snuck up on them, but did just enough to get done thanks to their running game. Uh, you'll notice that Mark Andrews held catchless today. Lamar Jackson even went to the presser Whoa. and com- co- commented about it, saying, and maybe it was the injury, honestly, but Lamar Jackson said no. Like They they created a Pro Bowl scheme to literally cut Andrews out of this offense because they just could not even look up any time. He was not open whatsoever. And so it became a run-heavy game script from Gus Edwards, who did have four touches, on the first drive and only played 36% of the snaps. But even then still leading the team in carries, we expect that overall usage to grow as we move on. 
So there's a few layers to this. Like mm-hmm. one, I absolutely love to see a player like Gus Edwards immediately come off the injury report and look this amazing and have this much of an impact. Second, it's impossible to predict when players like Gus Edwards comes off an injury report and does something like this because so often we see like they're eased back in. In this case, not at all. As you said, 16 carries, 66 yards, two touchdowns. Like if I had to predict, which I did on Sunday morning, I thought he'd get like some goal line rolls, like a nice pat on the back touchdown. It was way more than that. So Daigle, for a backfield so far this season that opened with Mike Davis and Kenyon Drake, then moved over to Justice Hill, then to J.K. Dobbins, then back to Kenyon Drake. And now is it clear that for as long as he is healthy, Gus Edwards is the running back one on this team? Very clear, especially after the Justice Hill fumble, Mike Davis healthy scratch today. I'm sure that third running back will probably just come and go based on matchups and what they want to do with their personnel. But overall, yes, again, I was shocked because there was no reason to think this was going to happen since they already showed they were limiting J.K. Dobbins in his first game back. So, okay, why would they not limit Gus Edwards in his first game back? And yes, again, 36% of the snaps. Uh, So technically limited on the field, but to still get 16 carries on those 36% of snaps is insane. So yes, it's the role is just going to grow for that RB1 spot. I think the big difference is Gus Edwards was just a regular ACL tear. And then JK mm-hmm. Dobbins was the more serious version of that. And obviously we see setbacks. So we always talk about in the off season, but a regular ACL tear and a multi-ligament ones, we have to be treating them differently just because the success rates going back. I, I want to talk about that Mark Andrews stuff because I remember on the, the last fil- uh, stats versus film show, we talked about how he was getting bracketed in like these key situations the Ravens need another one of these wide receivers to step up. Like Rashad Bateman's got to be a stud or Devin Duvernay's got to keep making random plays here and there, or otherwise they're going to be seeing a lot of this bracket coverage. Now I'm not like concerned about this, like for the long term, they're just so damn good, but we're starting to see a lot of bracket coverage, even when they put them in the slot, because they bring that safety down. So it's just on one of the other Ravens wide receivers to step up, or it's going to have to be more screens and less of like the seam route stuff. To that degree, Daigle, how did Rashad Bateman look? Because he missed last week and maybe even the week before that, I can't remember. And today was five targets, four receptions for 42 yards. Like, again, we talked about it last week where in crucial moments, they need that one player to win in isolation on the perimeter if they're getting, you know, the bracket stuff in the middle, as Hayden just outlined. And he is the best option for that. And was nearly full health. Uh Remember, this year he hadn't run a route on 80% of dropbacks in any game just yet. And so he returned with a route on 73% of dropbacks today. So unfortunately, that's the role he's been used as. So I will say like that's his his full role. Of course, we would like to see more, especially in games where Andrew's shut out and you know they need help. But he was used like he was used all year. And those are, he's not playing in one wide receiver sets. They like Demarcus Robinson in those rushing looks. And you see it from time to time. If it's a play action on those one wide receiver sets looks, those are as valuable as reps as you could possibly have for fantasy. And there's nobody else to throw the ball to. So I really wish he was playing every single snap. But I think at this point, it's been four weeks, some before the injury where he's just not playing every single down. Brown's time. Talk me through it. A very efficient 22 of 27 for Jacoby Brissett for 258. Uh, this backfield low key is very one-sided, you know, like mm-hmm. I would think in negative game scripts or in other times a season, it'd be much closer to what we've seen in the past with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, not even close as we continue here. Cause Nick Chubb had 16 carries for 91 yards and a score. Kareem Hunt did find 
the end zone, but just five carries and one reception. It's pretty clear how they view the split and really, really favor one side, and that's Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb has out-touched Kareem Hunt 31-10 to 10 the past two weeks, and after handling 59% of backfield touches through week five, has handled 76% of backfield touches the past two games. Uh, and remember, one of them was a game where you think it would be Kareem Hunt two weeks ago and negative game script. They kept Chubb in. And then today, again, a comeback mode and they kept Chubb in. So I actually think it favors Chubb quite heavily. Other than that, Jacoby Brissett started 7-7 seven of seven for 121 yards, uh, a career-high yardage in the first quarter, actually. Amari Cooper had a deep 55-yard catch in the receiving game in that first quarter as well. But other than that, nothing really to show for in this offense. David Njoku, of course, among the many players that left early, showed up to a post-game presser in a walking boot and on crutches, I believe. So we'll have to see how that goes. Pharaoh Brown got injured today as well, so it'll oh. probably go to, I think they have Miller Forrestal and who's the other one? Miles Wood? Uh, Michael Wood? Something like that? Harrison Bryant? Oh, yeah, of course. Harrison Bryant. Yeah, so that's who it comes down to. D- David Njoku was on pace for like 1,200 yards and like 88 catches uh, over like the last five games mm-hmm. of the season. So I, I really hope that he's not too banged up. It sounds like it was like a, an ankle sprain of some variety. Uh, I hope it's precautionary because like he's one of it, every week top five tight end. The usage right now has been out of control for him. Atlanta Falcons lose to the Cincinnati Bengals in the other Queen City, 35 to 17. Two questions were answered in this game. One, would the Bengals keep the same shotgun barely under center offense from last week that allowed Jamar Chase and company to thrive. 100%. And Joe Burrow went 34, 42, 481 yards, including over 300 in the first half with three touchdowns. Uh, Joe Mixon got 17 carries, 58 yards and a score. And then that allowed the trio of wide receivers, 155 for Tyler Boyd, 130 for Jamar Chase and T Higgins for 93 yards. What a beautiful day for Zach Taylor in this offense. The other question, and what would the Falcons offense change to under Arthur Smith if they go down by 21 points on the scoreboard? And what we learned was on the following drive, they ran the ball 11 of their next 14 snaps. Like, it is impossible as much as we like them early on the season where you drafted them to trust to any degree any iota drake london and Kyle Pitts, because this is even the answer that we get in extreme negative game script marcus mariota only threw the ball 13 times that meant it was one target in the direction of drake london and that means Kyle Pitts got five targets for nine yards i do not see this changing in any way because it had to in this game for them to work back into the scoreboard in extreme negative game script and it did not And I have no clue how to handle this because I'm not telling you to drop them. But this is clearly what Arthur Smith's offense is with this version of this team. And I don't see it getting better because the Falcons, despite their three and four record, are even worse than that. 16 of their 19 series started with a run play. And like I was I was in the second half when they were losing, but I was like waiting for them to say like, all right, here we go. Pass, pass, pass. And then there's be like run, run, sack, punt. I'm like, okay, what are we doing here? So I don't know. I don't know what to do with these guys. And it's kind of a two sided conversation here, Daigle, because like for one, we see all these offenses in the NFL start to do like the same thing over and over again. 
but the Falcons offense is a bit different, you know, like it's cool to see how explosive Marcus Mariota is. And they were talking about it, that he's had multiple surgeries since his days in Tennessee and didn't feel like hundred percent healthy to last year with the Raiders. And now he looks, you know, healthy and, and again, extremely explosive as a runner here to the tune of 31 yards. However, for us playing fantasy football, this freaking sucks. You know, it's not just one running back out there because Tyler Algier gets 16 carries. Caleb Huntley gets six and Avery Williams checks in every once in a while. So it's it's a wasteland. It's it's a dead zone. It's it's everything, even though it's pretty cool to see them zagging where everyone else is zigging. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's frustrating because Mariota was coming off a unpredictable QB five week. He was listed as a top streaming option by a lot of people in the industry, and rightfully so, given that this total, both team totals, continued to increase increase throughout the week. And then he delivers right now. We still have two games to play, of course, but he's the QB 16. He'll probably drop drop out of the top 20 overall. So it's not really a player you can start because we aren't predicting when this team is going to compete ever. As our friend Bill Barnwell put it, the Falcons trailed by 10 plus points for the final 50 minutes of their game today. They threw their ball 13 times. <laughs> what are we doing? It's just totally different, man. It like he he I wouldn't be surprised if Arthur Smith didn't even like look at the scoreboard. And he's like, we're just running what's on my sheet. At least we're people can it. still go to Twitter and say Pitts ran around on 81% of dropbacks. At least there's <laughs> that. Uh I, I do want to speak positively here about the Bengals. And we talk about this all the time and sorry for people listening and hearing this once again, how we viewed the Bengals at the end of last season. It took them a long time to get there. You know, the first seven weeks, everyone got frustrated by the neutral pass rate. And if they were protecting Joe Burrow and so on and so forth. Well, now we're through seven weeks of this season and it's back to being awesome. You know, it's in slightly different ways. And it's so much clearer that they're better out of shotgun and, even when they went under center under like a third and one and a fourth and one, they got stuffed with Joe Mixon. Um, but they figured it out to the tune of explosive plays too. Like Tyler Boyd had a 60 yard touchdown on the fourth play where he isolated him against a backup safety and Richie Grant, who looked like he tripped over a curb and fell flat in his back. But you know, Tyler Boyd also had a awesome one handed stab. Like he's starting to emerge a little bit. Then you had Jamar chase on a 41 yard touchdown. That was that, that, same back shoulder stop route he has along the sideline that no one else turns that into 41 yard scores because then he runs after the catch with it instead of just falling out of bounds. Another 32 yard touchdown to Jamar chase with a beautiful throw to the pylon. Um, it's all clicking exactly how we wanted to. And T Higgins got there as the game went along. And so I'm truly optimistic. And as you always say, Dago, we have to like reset our, our status and opinions on them because I think these last two weeks are who they're going to be for the rest of the season. And a favorable upcoming schedule just next week, let alone against the Browns. But also then up, we have the Chiefs in their next six games as well. Uh, Titans really the only hardest spot genuinely in their next six games before the hardest part of their schedule and bills itself. So some positivity as well moving forward. I think that Joe Burrow is a top five fantasy quarterback moving forward. I think like over Herbert, I think you make a good argument over Kyler Murray, even though Kyler Murray is running. Uh, if they're going to pass like they did last week and then this week, again, um, based off of their series, 23 of their 39 series started with the pass play. That's elite numbers, and that's despite winning the entire game. So uh, I, I think that T. Higgins and Jamar Chase are wide receiver ones. I think that Tyler Boyd, you can throw into your flex spot, especially during the bye weeks, and hope that the things go crazy. Because if they're playing shotgun and just going to be quick hitting pass, 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 
that's like your slot receiver. You know, like I, I can yep. see there being drastic on off splits from uh, Tyler Boyd the first four weeks through the rest of the season, just because I think he's going to be the primary beneficiary of this entire offense because he wasn't getting any targets early on. This could be like the fantasy gold mine team uh, moving forward. And you know what's helping too is Hayden Hurst. Like I know it's not massive numbers, but as all these tight ends like fail to reach expectations, he's also getting peppered in that short to intermediate area over the middle of the field. And even some of the growing pains that they went through in like weeks three, four, five, six with getting Jamar Chase the football, they're also doing some of that stuff with him as also winning on the perimeter and then manufacture touches near. So like these early growing pains might pay off in the end. And I did want to bring up since he's always been a, a positive regression candidate every single week. For us here on the show, Joe Mixon had three straight goal line touches and then finally got in the end zone on the third one. So it was a carry, then a target, then a carry to end it. And that's extremely positive. You know, all systems go here. I I don't think them going to a pass first offense is necessarily a bad thing for Joe Mixon because he's, first of all, getting carries or getting targets on early downs, even though Samaji Piran plays a lot of passing downs. He's getting more targets than he has historically. And I think that it's just the more efficient offense. There will be more goal line opportunities just in general. Since we are who we are, two funny things. Uh, Demir Bird caught a 75-yard touchdown pass for Marcus mm-hmm. Mario, like the one pass he unleashed all day. And then Cal Pitts did get a target inside the five-yard line. In fact, it was at the one-yard line, and he gained half a yard on a tight end screen. That's wide receiver screen. I God. mean, it writes itself. Back to you, Daigle. Dallas Cowboys, 24. Detroit Lions, 6. How the Lions open this season. Oh, we wanted pieces. Oh, mm-hmm. this was beautiful. Offensive line, Jared Goff playing well. Amon Ross St. Brown, great dual running backs. What could go wrong? Well, weeks five hit, week seven hit for a combined six points from this team. Meanwhile, Dak Prescott returned for the Cowboys. And what was the happenings from there? DeAndre Swift and DJ Chark also both come out of the bye, not healthy. What a disaster. And Dak, honestly, in terms of arm strength, grip, everything's fine. Some questionable decision-making in this game. Uh, quite a few. I'd say four to six throws into double and triple coverage. So I think uh, catching up to the speed of the game was really what he'll work on and progress at. But but very shocked about how good his thumb looked overall. Really what happened here is that both teams started very, very slow. Six to three at the half. Lions went seven quarters without forcing a punt over their last two games. And they forced the Cowboys to opening three and outs and back-to-back possessions to open the game. But the running game eventually takes over. Ezekiel Elliott at one point actually took a helmet to his knee, looked bad. He comes right back out after the intermission and still continues to lead this team in touches. Tony Pollard had two explosive runs, 20 Mm. plus yards in the second half that really helped break the game open. But more importantly, Just look at these drives for the Lions in the second half. Interception, punt, fumble. Interception, fumble, fumble. That's how you don't win a football game because the defense just took over. Jared Goff absolutely cratered in the final quarter in particular, and the Cowboys genuinely could just lean on the running backs to get this one done. Full Goff? Full Goff. The full spectrum. And it didn't didn't help that Amon Ross St. Brown also suffered a concussion immediately. Very early. 
Yes, yeah. very early. And so then you're stuck with, again, no Chark, and it's Khalif Raymond and Josh Reynolds instead and T.J. Hawkinson, and that's not going to work out well. Right, because then you have none of your explosives. Like, at least if right. Chark was playing, that's a vertical threat. Then when Amon Ra after the catch, that's an explosive play. And DeAndre Swift at the end, that's explosive. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to, and trust me, I certainly won't do this, give excuses to Jared Goff, but, like, if you pressure him, you can get home and you can win the game. It's really that simple. And for the Cowboys to continue to do this, I know like it can be tough to sustain as we've seen with the 49ers, a great defense all season long, but they've done this against the Rams. They've done this against the Cowboys, excuse me, the the Lions now when they have a great offensive line Mm -hmm. and Dan Quinn and how he's evolved everything. We'll talk about more later this week. It's awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, Before we move on to the Cowboys, Daigle, just bring me in the loop on Jamal Williams because is it as simple for him since he's not one of these explosive players that it's based on volume and if he gets touches inside the five-yard line and like that's his whole deal? That's pretty much it. And at one point, the lines in the second half when it seemed like they were going to not go down without a fight, a beautiful play call on a big screen play to get them inside the five-yard line to Brock Wright. And literally, the very next play from the one-yard line, Jamal Williams gets the handle and fumbles it and coughs it up. And that's when you knew it was all she wrote, uh, when they can't even get that right. Okay. Talk to me about Dak. It's our first time since week one. I think it's the first time Dak's been out there with like all three of these pass catchers plus both running backs. Uh, No huge chances down the field, but what was like the ease of the offense? Because that was always my biggest gripe with what he did with Kellen Moore in the past. But then what we've seen from Cooper Rush was a bit more layups. No, lots more attacking downfield and to the intermediate level of the field. But again, unfortunately, he was slightly off. Some bad decisions there. And I think you'll see CeeDee Lamb and Noah Brown with quite a few prayer yards in this one. Balls that sell well over their head and weren't catchable to begin with. The Cowboys also lost Dalton Schultz mid-game, which is why Jake Ferguson and Peyton Hendershot, who were actually two really good players, they did a, did a great job in scouting, popped up in this one. Uh, more importantly, though, I think everyone's probably curious about the failure of Michael Gallup because two targets and yeah. one drop is what he ended with. It was not pretty at all. Basically someone who went completely overlooked, strictly a boundary guy, and it was instead Noah Brown getting heavily involved uh, over Gallup. I haven't watched this game. I'm guessing that's Jeff Okuda, who um, probably is going to be facing Michael Gallup. So we'll go back and and watch. And as the season progresses, some of these ACL players, hopefully they do better later down the stretch. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, he's not catching any passes this year. I'm not expecting Mm -hmm. that to change with Dak Prescott there, but the fact that this team is going to be projected to score what top five in points every single week, I think makes Zeke Elliott a touchdown or bust RB two in fantasy land. Like it's, he, he got very lucky this week scoring two of them. Um, but like if you're top 24 running back, I think that we're, we're back to that. He has one target in his last three games. Yeah. For y'all bounce as the chat is telling you to do thumbs up, hit subscribe, be sure to tune into the rest of the show after Sunday Night Football, or with your Monday morning coffee. To all of you joining us here on Monday morning, we appreciate it. Okay, for everyone that knows, Hayden was bon voyaging away this weekend, so I got to assign him games. And you're damn right I assigned him Taylor Heineke's Sunday victory in Week 7 with the Washington Commanders, 23-21 to over back-to-back MVP Aaron Rodgers, winning that duel. 201 yards to 194 yards, both throwing two touchdowns. What the hell happened? 
it was really bad for Taylor Heineke to start. There was basically every single time he threw the ball, it was a 50, 50 chance that it was going to hit a Packers defender first. Uh, there was one, um, uh, Eric Stokes got hold for like a, or got called for a holding. That was, would have been a, another defensive touchdown called back for the Packers. This game was ugly to start, but what happens later on is some of these kind of duck passes down to the sideline to Terry McLaurin started getting caught. Terry McLaurin had an excellent play down the line. He was the one that really stepped up. Curtis Samuel got a lot of the schemed up stuff, very similar how it was early in the season, but Terry McLaurin was kind of the difference maker. Um, and if you look on the Packers side, nobody, I mean, literally nobody aside from Alan Lazard caught a pass at the wide receiver group on the Packers until like halfway through the fourth quarter, they're getting zero production. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was so mad the entire game. He kept, uh, looking over at the sideline and just saying, what are we doing? What are we doing? Whoa. He did it on multiple occasions. I was cl clearly right out of the floor. I had drops for AJ Dillon, uh, Aaron Jones, uh, Romeo Dobbs had a couple drops. Al Mazard had a couple drops, but really there's no explosiveness in this offense. That one touchdown on the left sideline, there was a scramble play where Aaron Jones high points it for a touchdown, but that was a broken play. Nothing downfield. Romeo Dobbs had a, a tough game. Sammy Watkins had a tough game. It was really bad. And Alan Lazard, who was being a chain mover once again, he leaves the game, and then it was just dink and dunk only. The Packers had 76 offensive yards in the first half. Aaron Rodgers didn't have a throw didn't have a throw 10 yards downfield. I know Aaron Jones did have eight touches in the first quarter, which was basically what Rodgers said last week as well, that we just need to simplify things. And he mentioned Aaron Jones specifically getting on the ball. But it's, as you can tell by the passing chart on the show, horizontal or shallow. This is Garoppolo-esque. It was bad, man. <laughs> he, was, he was very mad. And I think he needs to take some responsibility here. Like yeah. he, It's always just like the wide receiver's fault. But he was more inaccurate this week than he has been, I for sure, like last season, where he didn't miss a pass basically all year. He, I don't know if it's his thumb. They kept showing he's got like a little tape job on his thumb. He's battling through that. But there were some throws where it was just like not pinpoint. And the wide receivers are doing him no favors at all. Like to me, like Alan Lazard is like light years ahead of the rest of this wide receiver group. Sammy Watkins struggled. Romeo Dobbs on the same page, dropped a couple passes. But to me, like Aaron Rodgers owns some of this. The offensive line owns some of it. I guess the coaching staff. But a lot of like the wide, the, the running back stuff too isn't like Aaron Jones makes a couple plays like per game uh but aj dillon's been struggling it's just been you can't press vertically how how are you going to set up your running backs for success it just feels like everything's caving in and it feels like aaron Rodgers is just like not giving any time in this offense just like wants to throw the ball down immediately or like prove a point that the play design wasn't good he's just gonna like fire it into the ground I know that they shuffled the offensive line around again. Elton Jenkins had struggled at right tackle. I think he moved back inside to left guard where he's mm -hmm. been at his best in the NFL. I think Zach Tom started at left tackle. Um, Peter Bukowski, who's like, who does a good job covering the Packers and is quite optimistic about them generally, even in the fourth quarter said, put Jordan Love in. Like it got that brutal. Um, yeah. Just Dobbs. what a weird, and I don't want to look too long here, long-term Daigle, but like he just signed this extension. They traded away Devontae Adams. Like what the hell are the Packers going to be heading into the rest of the season? And in 2023, when they are three and four right now and just being left in the dust by the Minnesota Vikings and a bunch of these other teams. But at the same time, we talked about with the Bengals, obviously the personnel is wildly different, but maybe the Bucks are a better example where 
things can shift. And if you just like get in the race at the end, since only one team gets a buy, like just getting the playoffs is, is a big enough picture and, and can be a win. But like, it doesn't feel like it can get there, especially Hayden with the defense still playing this poorly, you know, like yeah. that's huge is how poor yeah. the defense is still playing. There was a chance it was going to be the best defense in the league. Like that was within the range of outcomes. Now they're like the 10th, 12th, 15th defense in a lot of these metrics. So, I mean, like late in the game, Tyler, Taylor Heineke was like legitimately moving the ball at will. Uh, the run game for for Washington was was mostly effective. Antonio Gibson actually got more run than I think most people uh, expected, especially kind of late in the game. Brian Robinson did start. He was the primary back 20 carries. J.D. McKissick, definitely his role is scaled back. I, I can't wait to to rewatch this. I, I I think that Antonio Gibson was getting a couple more of the third down looks compared to J.D. McKissick. Um, but for the most part, I don't think Taylor Heineke could play. It was a great win that they were able to pull this off. But his arm strength is definitely the worst of any starter. And I was like, worse than Bailey Zappi. Uh, so we got lucky here that Terry McLaurin absolutely balled out. But I think there will be some some pretty tough games for uh, Washington coming up soon. Heineke actually started one for seven with a pick. And then the rest of the game went 19 of 26 for 200 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. I was worried about McLaurin personally, since everyone was citing his 25% target share from last year, but also different offense. And also he was still the wide receiver 25 in fantasy points per game because of Heineke's inaccuracies. Uh, but no Jahan Dotson here. McLaurin checks in with a 24% target share. And again, I bet when we look at off-target throws, there are quite a bit in them because McLaurin yes. was literally coming back, like running through three people to make some of his catches. The best thing about Taylor Heineke is he thinks he's Josh Allen. The worst thing about Taylor Heineke is he thinks he's Josh Allen. Mm -hmm. Like he just believes in himself. And it's so funny you're saying all these things about him, Hayden, because it's exactly how we described him last year. Mm -hmm. And it's like nothing has changed. And like Terry was having to adjust uh, to every single off-target pass. So many points were left on the field because momentum or space or separation was closed because of the quarterback. Um, but a win in the pocket means like we might not see Sam Howell, you know, like this might yeah. extend the Taylor Heineke reign until Carson Wentz comes back. If that fumble six stands without that penalty, I think we would be having definitely some conversations about Sam Howell. And, He's still just a wide receiver four, pretty much. But for Romeo Dobbs, I understand Leighton Egg in the box score. But Alan Lazar did suffer a shoulder injury in this game. Mm -hmm. So Dobbs, since he did lead the team in routes today, I imagine he's still the team's number one wide receiver next week for whatever the hell that's worth. I mean, I'm not sure how much longer freaking Aaron Rodgers going to let that happen. He was big mad at him at multiple points. We'll see. Okay. Let's go to the New York Giants against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Giants winning this game 23 to. 17. Look, this offseason, you're going to read 76 articles saying that Brian Dayball's record in one score games is going to regress. Maybe three of them come from Hayden. But in 2022, week to week momentum or confidence, however you want to call it, in tight games, I believe it's real because this Giants team is so comfortable in these end of game scenarios to not only call plays and win in the ways that they have skills, but then also maximize on the mistakes of the opposition that this is why they, they keep winning. This is why that they are six and one. I mean, this game came down to the one yard line at the end and they come out with six points because they have three people on one tackling Christian Kirk. Cause they know where the goal line is and they get the stop. Um, actually start off in a really positive direction for the Jaguars. Stop me. If you've heard this before, 
uh, because Travis Etienne was heavily involved from the start, and this is 100% his backfield. Uh, I think he had a seven-yard touchdown that was like misdirection the opposite way with tight ends and wide receivers, exactly what we saw that the Giants defense struggling with last week. Then he basically walks in, gets a two-point conversion right after that. He opens the second half with a 49-yard gain. Um, the toss and explosiveness on the left side to get him a crease with Cam Robinson right in front of him, and he's off to the races. I say explosiveness because that's the biggest issue with this team right now is that he is the only explosive element, Travis Etienne, on this Jaguars team. I know that Christian Kirk was brought in as a vertical slot player, but when you look at Trevor Lawrence's passing chart, you will see very little beyond 20 yards, and you'll see nothing beyond 30 or 40 yards. They lack speed. They lack verticality. And so it's all condensed and sprayed across the field. And to me, that's why there's no like game-changing plays unless Travis Etienne is the one who's reeling off huge, massive gains and forcing broken tackles. Per PFF, Travis Etienne, 57 of 71 snaps. James Robinson was held to only... 12 of them it's just he hasn't looked right it was encouraging week one week two and then since then it's just been all downhill for james robinson so yeah it's time to be considering travis Etienne as a top 15 fantasy running back i'm curious about the the game quotes after this he he always has he's gonna have like a couple knucklehead plays here and there he's very inexperienced but the explosiveness is like so obvious and they, they like you said they need it because right. they're not getting it out of any of their wide receivers and they had a pretty off he had a pretty awful fumble when it was one-on-one against a safety at the five-yard line fumbles it before going into the end zone and the giants recover that um on the giants end wandale robinson i believe had five targets on daniel jones's first 11 passes in this game uh now that only equaled 22 yards to start he did end with six catches for 50 yards on eight targets. Uh, it's pretty clear that Mike Kafka, Brian Dayball know that among their wide receiver room, if you even want to call it that, Wandale Robinson is the one who actually has some juice to him, some speed to him. So they made it known in the first half of, hey, we're going to spread it out and we're going to force the ball in space to Wandale Robinson. But as that started to kind of dwindled down and just gave them, you know, 13 points in those first opening two quarters. And then the third quarter, zero points. They then morphed into like the smash mouth football team. It's weird that like, they're kind of like a pseudo Eagles in that regard where then Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley make massive plays on their own. I mean, Daniel Jones had 107 rushing yards in a score. Saquon Barkley had multiple stop starts going to press this side, come to a complete stop, then go left and then go vertical. Uh, with 110 yards himself. I can't even point to like one, two or three plays that the Giants make. It's just like they know what they're doing. They're calling the perfect plays in the moment. And even when the Jaguars send an extra blitzer or get a free rush, then Daniel Jones is able to escape the pocket and run for a first down. It's so wild that every single week it's like copy, paste, copy, paste. They just did it the right way. Nothing exciting, but it's working. And again, they're six and one here, Daigle. There's nothing to say. I mean, you can only I mean, <laughs> you can you can only use Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Wandell Robinson too. You can't start Darius Slayton or like Marcus Johnson led the team in routes run, but uh, he actually will probably be out of two wide sets soon because of more boneheaded mistakes he made today. It, it's so odd that there are genuinely three teams in the NFL that can move the ball, but also like you can barely use any of their players for fantasy. 
I mean, this is wild. You know, it's like screens to the left, attacking over the middle of the field. Um, there were some injuries in this game. Did want to bring up that I believe it was Daniel Bellinger left with like a really crazy eye injury where he got hooked yeah. and it was like gushing blood. Madness. Um, but man, like Brian Dable and Mike Kafka, give it up. I did get a little nervous at one point for Christian Kirk. It felt like he started quite slowly and then really hit his stride a bit later on where they were getting him kind of these wheel route patterns or things along the sideline to, um, yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to, as you said, Daigle, say anything else about this team other than it is shocking that they are six and one and then going down their list, it's the Seahawks, it's the Titan Texans and it's the lions, the next three games, Mm -hmm. which on some level continue to be winnable for this Giants team. With Daniel Jones averaging eight carries per game. If you're looking for yeah. someone to replace that Aaron Rodgers, the Russell Wilsons in your life, Daniel Jones is mostly on a, a wear. Uh, forgot two injuries. They did lose two starting offensive linemen. Bren Bredersen, who's yeah. a guard early on. And then just about two series later, Evan Neal, who was obviously the first round draft pick at right tackle, uh, I believe left on a cart or walked to the locker room by himself and just never returned. And so for a team that is scraping by with these close game and game is management situations at the end. Anytime you lose offensive linemen for a team that's like so important to them. And that was the focus of their off season too. Uh, that can be really, really crucial as we move forward with them. All right. Uh, Hayden, what was your third game? Oh boy. Jets Broncos put 60 seconds on the clock. There's a lot to talk about here. Take what? it away. Well, I mean, First of all, first off, Brees Hall uh, torn ACL. Most likely, they're going to get MRIs to confirm. So the big news, obviously, if Michael Carter is available, he's it's like a empty the clip with uh, the waiver wire. Um, they got Ty Johnson involved, but I think that Michael Carter is going to have a large chunk of this. This entire offense right now is all manufactured gimmick stuff. Uh, despite winning this game, the Jets only had three completions over five air yards, and they were. None of them traveled. It was all like six, seven, and eight. You I'll know, pull it's it like up for you. It's it's ridiculous. The whole thing is just Braxton Berrios jet sweeps, run plays, screen plays, Garrett Wilson running short of the sticks. Uh, Corey Davis left this game with a knee injury, I believe. Uh, don't know the severity of that. Elijah Moore, they desperately need. Um, I, I am curious if they try to uh, switch up Elijah Moore's role when he does come back because he was a manufactured touch player in college. And if that's what this offense is going to be, because they don't trust Zach Wilson to stay in the pocket and deliver throws on time, maybe they go back to some of his college stuff. Um, but yeah, at, at the end of the day, Zach Wilson was pressured often. He There was a couple of plays where he was like 20, 25 yards behind the line of scrimmage, making uh, guys miss just throw, throwing the ball away. But as you can see, this is they're winning games. So, so shout out to them. The coaching staff, I think, is doing a fine enough job. We've talked about the Russian scheme. But if Brees Hall is was their explosive back and Michael Carter's kind of just like the more reliable back. I don't know how they're going to be ripping off 40, 50 yard plays. Um, so we'll see. few things you mentioned Brees Hall, uh, Robert Sala said it was an ACL. Elijah Vera Tucker also left this game. Elijah Moore, as we knew was out. I believe there was one more injury. Cannot Corey remember Davis. it. Corey Davis also missing. So that means you had Garrett Wilson. And so I want to put that out there as a fact. Mm-hmm. The other fact of this is, And people are going to hate me for saying this. The Jets have had a flush draw over the last four weeks when you think about it. 
against the Steelers. Mitch Trubisky was pulled at halftime. Then you got Kenny Pickett, right? Um, Miami Dolphins had their starting quarterback knocked out early in that game. You won 40 to 17. Packers win was awesome last week. And now you get Brett Ripien across from, from Zach Wilson. Um, it is so clear for how they are drawing up this offense. This is not what Kyle Shanahan would want. So do not throw that idea at me. If they trusted their quarterback, they would allow him to open this up and be more of a pass first unit. It's that simple. I think it's pretty clear in isolation in this game, you saw why this team can't trust Zach Wilson at this moment because there were so many plays that were on a hair string away from being extremely negative, you know, interceptions that weren't caught, uh, bounced passes or fumbles that then, you know, he was rolled down, um, just inaccurate throws that were open in the middle of the field. It can change. And I think it's awesome that they are winning games without having to rely on their quarterback. Cause maybe it can help, but you have to look at this through not green eyed glasses. When you say that, when this team reaches the playoffs, what they are on position to do right now at being five and two, you can't have quarterback play like this. You simply can't. I will say the Broncos defense was once again, sure. fantastic. And I w- want to give credit to the jets defense. There's been a couple of games in a row now, specifically sauce Gardner. And uh, without the all 22, it's like hard to tell, but I did see sauce on Cortland Sutton for large chunks of this game. Cortland Sutton was held to 23 yards on nine targets. Brett Ripien, like he's a backup quarterback at, at the very best. Uh, it's not going to be pretty for them. Jerry Judy gets blown up early on a screenplay, uh, was able to survive that, leads the team with 11 targets. I don't think there's like anything we can like look into, like why Cortland Sutton uh, didn't do as well as Jerry Judy. This is just a one-game sample. The running back rotation was hellish. Uh, Melvin Gordon started, then Latavius Murray gets in there. He ends up scoring a goal line touchdown. Mike Boone delivered a couple plays with some pop. He leaves with an ankle injury. Unclear on the severity of that, but that would get the backfield back to two. And I think that would get Melvin Gordon maybe on passing downs uh, where Mike Boone was kind of mixing in. So we'll have to uh, monitor that. It sounds like they're trying to get Russell Wilson back uh, playing through that hamstring injury. Not that that's really going to help things, but Brett, Brett Ripien's worse than even 2022 uh, Russell. Put this in perspective for the rest of the way because Brees Hall has been outstanding. Michael Carter is a very good talent, though, Daigle. How would you consider Michael Carter here with all the injuries that we just said, including offensive line, including one of the wide receivers, so on and so forth, viewing Michael Carter moving forward? How much of a percent can he make up of what Brees Hall has been doing over these last few weeks? A lot of pop is missing with Brees Hall. Like he was a walking explosive play. So Michael Carter, even in being a very good player, uh, I worry a little bit too that it'll still be – 65 35 with Ty Johnson getting usage as well. Remember, this is the same coaching staff that used Ty Johnson heavily last year. Uh, for a month long stretch, Ty Johnson was an RB2 you could start in PPR leagues. So I think Ty Johnson will actually get some, get a little bit of run here as well. It's just, yeah, on one hand, you mentioned Zach Wilson came into this game with literally the worst completion rate under pressure in the league 17% for two yards per attempt and two interceptions. Terrible. But when you play an offense like the Broncos, who have now scored eight touchdowns in seven weeks of football, maybe you can get by completing 17% of your passes under pressure. It's okay. Yeah. This week, anyways. I did want to bring up with Mike LaFleur. He's done so much cool stuff with these two back sets. I think that's going to be a bit more difficult when it's mm-hmm. going from Brees Hall to, to Ty Johnson. I'm a huge believer in Michael Carter as a between the tackles runner. He even had 37 yard reception on the check down that he made a lot of people miss here. 
Um, but what we saw from Brees Hall of like, hey, you give him a seam with Denzel Mims making a great block, Dwayne Brown in front of him and taking it, uh, what was it, 70, 62 yards of the house. I don't think Michael Carter has that in his bag. And we see those big plays from Brees Hall nearly every single week. So I think it's going to be more volume, but fewer explosives for Michael Carter. But still, that puts him into every week at the very least for me running back to status. Yeah, he'll be in my top 20, 100%. I, I could see the Jets bringing somebody in. I don't know, if Antonio Gibson, Melvin Gordon, if they make a trade that big or if they just pick somebody else. But I, I don't think that Ty Johnson's more than like three, four touches per game. All right, Daigle, your third game was? Terrific question. Oh, Colts-Titans. <laughs> oh, baby. Let's get it. So we get, I think the Titans off a bye, mm-hmm. and they get Derrick Henry 30 carries for 128 yeah. yards in this game. Meanwhile, Jonathan Taylor coming off injury and what the Colts put out there offensively last week feels like they ran a similar thing because it was just 10 carries for Jonathan Taylor in comparison to 44 Matt Ryan passing attempts. Whenever Taylor got the ball, he looked explosive, but he was very clearly still limited in this one. Didn't receive a carry on the first drive at all. And then his snap count, he ended up playing 55% of their snaps. Uh, Had 53 yards and eight touches in the first half, though. What we saw was them basically eliminate Deion Jackson, which is what we expected. Naheem Hines is a better pass catcher, and it's Jonathan freaking Taylor. You don't need a special team's Deion Jackson getting in your offense. Uh, Jackson played five snaps, ran just three routes, whereas you see the participation from both running backs. Naheem Hines included with five catches here. But Matt Ryan, for the second straight week, shallow A dot, a four and a half yard death to target as this team dropped back and just kept everything close to the line of scrimmage, which also allowed <laughs> Paris Campbell, yes, which has allowed Paris Campbell to set career highs in back-to-back weeks with targets. He has 23 targets now, Campbell, the past two weeks because of how they schemed this offense all of a sudden. Um, but it was really smooth sailing from the Titans. They forced three turnovers. Matt Ryan also now has 11 fumbles and nine interceptions mm. through this year. And the Titans never trailed at all. And once Michael Pittman fumbled uh, with three minutes left in the second and the fourth quarter, it was game over from there. Just ran out the clock with Henry. I am kind of curious to watch this game because with the Colts, because last week they ran more no huddle and I'm looking just at the play volume. There's lots of plays in this game and lots of dinking dunk and you can get some fantasy production. Like even if the offense doesn't look great, like that's a lot of green dots, which are definitely helping Michael Pittman. Like you said, Paris Campbell had a huge week uh, last week and repeats that again. So if we are playing with more pace, that's something, you know, like that's, that's helpful for fantasy too. Titans are four and two and have the Texans next. It's like every single year they do this. And uh, every single every year we single don't know how. Do and I still, I still can't answer. I still don't know how. I really they're, don't. They're on a four-game winning streak, and they haven't eclipsed more than 24 points in any of those games. <laughs> I think Mike Vrabel like, was just two years ahead of like where the, the NFL was going in terms of low scoring and how defenses were moving. I'm trying to give him too much credit here, I, but I think he deserves a lot with how often they win. Um, Ryan Tannehill got hurt for a little bit, right? Take oh, one. yeah. Malik Willis popped in here. Uh, a, few, a few plays, not many. A- okay. At one point, even that they fumbled, they botched a Ryan Tannehill handoff to Malik Willis because uh, that's what the four and two Titans are doing now. Robert Woods, like, do I even bother ranking him inside the top 40? 
he will maybe lead the team in targets and it won't matter. So do whatever you want with that. Final comment, Alec Pierce, a waiver wire darling for a lot of people, DFS darling for a lot of people this week, ends it with uh, three catches for 37 yards as the team's fourth leading receiver. Does not overlap still with those getting hammered, Pittman and Campbell at the line of scrimmage. Uh, Pierce has a 12-yard depth of target. He's the only one getting downfield shots. But again, coming into this game, Matt Ryan had only nine throws over 20 yards downfield. So that's not what this offense does anyhow. Uh, Pierce will still likely be low floor wide receiver four or five, I would say. I don't think he's been in two wide receiver sets yet. Paris Campbell's been holding on to that. And since this scheme now helps Paris Campbell out, Ryan with 44 pass attempts per game in this two-week stretch, uh, it's probably Campbell who has actually gone ahead of him now. Yeah. Seattle Seahawks beat the Los Angeles Chargers 37-23. Geno Smith is such a stud. Talk your shit, Geno. There were some MVP caliber throws in this game on route to 20 of 27, 210 yards, and two scores. First, the positives. This first Geno Smith touchdown pass to Marquise Goodwin in the back right of the end zone on third and 15, just the perfect touch. And it was this cool route that if I knew football, I could tell you exactly what the name of it was. But it was basically from the outside Goodwin, uh, stresses inside vertically, doesn't turn and run to the corner. He almost opens up and makes it somewhat of a jump ball slash back shoulder and hauls it in there. Meanwhile, he hits another Marquise Goodwin touchdown at the front left pylon where J.C. Jackson was in one-on-one coverage and in a box-out situation, uh, J.C. Jackson is just about to elevate, goes down, holds his knee, had to be carted off. I think it was an air cast put on. And that really started the momentum of how many injuries were going to be in this game. J.C. Jackson leaves on a cart. D.K. Metcalf leaves on a cart, also trying to go up and get a contested catch touchdown um, and lands on it very awkwardly, believe it was his left knee. And then as this game was almost getting away from them with about eight minutes to go, Mike Williams leaves with a lower leg injury, couldn't put any weight on it. We're still awaiting word there. So for these teams in Seattle who have maximized the DK Metcalfs, the Tyler Lockett's, the Marquise Goodwins, the Kenneth Walkers, for the Chargers who've been dealing with injury after injury, losing someone like like Mike Williams after already losing your left tackle, I feel like would tank the season for them. Truly would. Um, But one final note I did want to end on is just how freaking good Kenneth Walker is. Mm -hmm. 23 carries, 168 and two scores, and ends the day with a 74-yarder. That one was untouched, but for a man true man to be able to stress one tackle see linebackers overflowing put his foot in the dirt ramp up field and create i don't know 12 13 14 yards with awesome acceleration to another time having a 260 pound linebacker and kenneth murray grab onto your shoulders try to hold on for the next nine yards and then being able to hit a big play of 74 we have a clean wide open lane He can do just about everything. You're going to have some negative plays mixed in there just because of his running style. But everything we could have ever wished for with Kenneth Walker is coming into fruition, and it's not slowing down. The end zone angles, that's where you know he's balling out is because he's setting up all these. He presses inside and then busts outside. He's so fast, man. It's it's exactly what we saw in college. It's like 
perfectly translated. Uh, the Seahawks were more run heavy this game. Obviously, the Chargers defense was struggling. Their linebackers all over the place, like you mentioned there. So very curious to see what's going to happen if DK Metcalf does miss some time here. Uh, looks like MRI was or he's getting an MRI, but at least the x-rays were negative. So his status is TBD. Obviously, this would help Tyler Lockett a ton, but I think this will be a very balanced offense because they're getting a shit ton of production out of Ken, Ken Walker. Walker also now with 44 of the team's 52 running back carries the past two weeks in place of Rashad Penny. Today, you mentioned 23 carries. Five of them went for 10-plus yards. He's literally oh. just a walking explosion machine. And not only that, like, look at this draft class. By the way, Josh, uh, Boy Mafe, Tariq Woolen, Charles Cross, uh, Abe, the Lucas, right tackle as well. Yep, Ken Walker. Like it, it, it's definitely the best draft class of 2022 of any team. It, it's probably what one of the best, a top five in the last decade, if not oh, better than that. Jets fans are gonna fight you for those that, words. That, that's that's, that's what they're hanging yeah. on to. No, the cool thing about their draft class, I'm glad you brought this up, is what started the Pete Carroll John Schneider era. It was hitting on a bunch of these late to mid round, mid to late round draft picks that just absolutely exceeded any expectations for them. And they stacked about one or two or three of those. And it turned into a Super Bowl roster with what if this is the start contract, right? What if this is the start of, you know, the Brandon Browner, the Richard Sherman's, all of that stuff that now you bring into 2022, not saying Super Bowl runs here, but this caliber of play that Geno Smith is also bringing you it's Super Bowl caliber. Why can't they be a, a, a playoff team this year? You they know? can. Like 100%, they could get right in the mix. Geno, Geno Smith came into this week leading the league in completion rate against Blitz. Uh, we've seen the touch throws he has over double coverage in multiple occasions throughout this year, too. I think he's – is he a top-five quarterback in the league right now, the way he's playing? This year, the metric-wise, he's like been like first in completion percentage over expected by a wide margin today – 88th percentile, uh, 10 percentage points over expected. So I'm, I'm not sure like how rep, like if he's going to be able to keep this up without DK Metcalf, because a lot of those passes are for sure, DK sure. Metcalf yeah. over the, over the middle. Uh, and now it's like they're replacing with like Marquise Goodwin, who, who we like, but you could not get any more different than those two types. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but he has been accuracy. I would say yes. And aggressiveness. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I was shocked at how big Marquise Goodwin played in this game. Athletic, obviously, but he was going up and climbing the ladder and coming down with some of these contested grabs. Uh, the player who probably has to step up, who's done nothing so far, is Noah Fant if DK Metcalf misses. You know, it's a bit from different alignments, but he should be someone that can win with a big body or be explosive and all of that. And to add on to this, the Seahawks didn't even play perfectly. Like they got a bit too cute one time and they lined up D Eskridge as like a true running back, tossed it to him and he just fumbled it flat in the ground. And like they had these turnovers still because Gino threw an interception, but like they're a fun team to watch every single week. I, I think the biggest part for them is they have Tariq Woolen, obviously, but if they had one more defensive piece that could, you know, end drives and get them off the field, that could be a real difference maker for them. And maybe someone does emerge as we go along. Um, I really Marquise don't have anything to say about the Chargers. I mean, 51 attempts here for Justin Herbert. Austin Eckler had, you know, 120 total yards, a lot of it on the ground. Um, and then Gerald Everett was pretty important piece. And then with Keenan Allen, it felt like a lot of these vertical patterns that they were trying to run, he would kind of run seven yards and stick it back. And you could tell he wasn't 100%. And you could tell he was kind of being shoehorned in there because they were missing Joshua Palmer. 
14 routes on Herbert's 59 dropbacks. Keenan Allen, very clearly a part-time player. And now this team hits their bye whenever they obviously need it the most. Yeah, yeah it sounded like in the locker room, Mike Williams was not putting that much weight on his ankle injury. So I'm guessing it's like a high ankle sprain. Could be out like a, a full month about that. Um, and with these ankle injuries, like we see with like Amon Ross St. Brown, when they come back, it's usually not at full health too. So really bummer. They the A dot once again was like six yards downfield for Justin Herbert. They have just no juice at all. So like if they want to take this season serious, they need to like trade for Brandon Cooks or something. Like this, this right, like they're throwing to players I've never even heard of. I mean, I feel like all these teams, like Brandon Cooks is number one on their radar, you know, because he fixes a lot of issues, maybe with the Packers. He fixes some issues with the two teams that we just talked about, you know? Um he no did one's just going out there. The, go ahead. He did just sign the extension though with them. Oh, that's true. Apparently like literally, been, been, literally been just coming before up this in, year. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like his name's been coming up in trade talks, though. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think McCaffrey could get traded, and then you saw what happened there. I still don't think DJ Moore will get traded. I do not either. Okay, uh, let's rewind it back to Thursday night football. Um, 42-34, if we can remember this correctly, of the Arizona Cardinals and the New Orleans Saints. Daigle, I'll go to you first. What did you pick up from the Cardinals? No Marquise Brown. But you got DeAndre Hopkins back for 10 receptions, 103 yards. And then in the one game that it should be a James Conner performance, James Conner misses because Eno Benjamin owns all the opportunities basically inside the five and inside the 10 that Kyler Murray doesn't take for himself. I was shocked at how they used DeAndre Hopkins and like shocked in a good way because we know Cliff Kingsbury doesn't alter his approach. So when he does and he puts Hopkins out into the slot and moves him around in motion on over half his routes, like we should note that, okay, he's at least trying to change something here. And so he was like actually putting Hopkins in terrific situations to get targets. I was so surprised to see that. So I think it's wheels up for DeAndre Hopkins, like even more so than I thought. The, that's how he was using Marquise Brown quietly the last couple games. The beginning, there's like if you just look at the first game, then yes. But like as the season was progressing, I saw Marquise Brown in the slot as well. I think like the big thing for DeAndre Hopkins, he's the only skill player that's weighs more than 180 pounds and stands yeah. above 5'10. So like he's the different piece outside of AJ Green, who is basically going to get dusted. So Rondale in the slot, low A dot. DeAndre Hopkins doing everything. I think eventually Robbie Anderson will just take. AJ Green's role as uh, staying three feet away from the sideline and hope to catch a 60 yard pass. Can I pour some cold water onto maybe our, some of our optimism for the Cardinals as they move forward, Hayden? Because what if this team looks at Eno Benjamin and they're like, man, he might be as good as Chase Edmonds was last year, or even like some of the runs that Keontae Ingram had this past week. And like when James Conner does come back, it's not the same James Conner role that we saw to open the season. Mm-hmm. And it's way closer to a split backfield. Because we're not getting like anywhere close other than this game to like the inside the 10 opportunities that we had seen that made Chase James Conner so awesome last season. Yeah, maybe DeAndre like moves the chains enough though that they actually get some goal line opportunity. Because like James Conner wasn't like getting stuff down there. He just like wasn't getting that much opportunity. So True. we just need the offense to get better. That's kind of like what I was saying with like Ezekiel Elliott, very similar players. Like just get down to the red zone and then we'll see what happens there. Um I think that's a good point. Anything on the Saints thing you want to talk about? Um, I mean, Taysom still Taysom, still getting involved. And then your boy Rashid Shahid goes for a 53-yarder. And what a season, talking about this rookie class like you did with some of the running backs and some of the other teams. Chris Olave every single week. Yeah. Every single week. 14 targets, 7 receptions, and 106 yards. 
they're going back to Jameis Winston when they come back, right? Are they really? No, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm asking rhetorically. I don't, I don't think know. they are. I, okay. I think they stick with Andy Dalton despite like him putting in his best Jameis performance here with some pick sixes right. that weren't all his fault. He had some yeah. bad deflections there. But I think if they wanted Jameis to start, he would have started this game. Yeah. And if you're looking, if you're tired of Kyle Pitts, if uh, Adam Troutman is still out once they return, Juwan Johnson delivered two touchdown performance. He will still be out there for 75% roughly of their routes. So that's another player to pick up. But beyond that, it is funny to see Shahid like only have two career touches and they both go for 40 plus yard touchdowns. But overall, like this offense is quite condensed for fantasy, honestly. My my last note, I'm playing Davis Maddock in a league that we're all in. Uh, somebody on this podcast is in first place, by the way. And Davis Maddock sat Kyle Pitts and started Taysom Hill in that league. I, I start I start Taysom Hill over Kyle Pitts every week. Love that. All right, we got two more games. We'll go ahead and hit them quickly because I didn't watch a single second of them. Uh, the first one is the Carolina Panthers beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yep. 21 to three. The Bucs are three and four. Daigle, you know this stuff. This, I don't know if this has ever happened with me watching football, or at least being aware of, of these type of parameters when heading into games. The Bucs were 13 point favorites in this game and they only scored three and they lost by 18. I've never uh, seen that happen before. Tampa Bay hasn't scored a touchdown in the first quarter this year yet as well. They had 10 full drives. We eliminate that final drive where they gave Rashad White two carries just to get the hell off the field. They had 10 full drives, converted just 17% of their third downs, and made it to the red zone one time and came away with three points. Uh, to allow the Panthers, who just traded Christian McCaffrey, Bro. to average over six yards per carry is insane. And there were a lot of explosive runs, too. At one point, Deontay Foreman had a 60-yard run, and then Hubbard closed it out with a 17-yard touchdown run. Hubbard, who did get injured at the end, we have to wait and see. But, man, I don't know what to tell you. Like, and They came out afterwards, the Panthers did, and mentioned that like P.J. Walker's played so well that they can't imagine taking him out of the lineup if Baker Mayfield's ready to go. And it's like they, they won one game, and I understand right now football in general is so bad that the Panthers are one game back in their division, which is insane to think about considering they're in a rebuild. But, yeah, I I don't know what to tell you about the Bucks because it's a disaster. I Mike Evans did have a massive oh. – I think it was like a 70-yard touchdown. 75 wide yards open the game, basically. Wide open and just bobbles it, just outright drops it. Mike Evans doesn't ever do that. Chris Godwin, you know, the past two weeks, we worried about him being scaled back because the Bucs are supposed to blow teams out. He's been a full-time player. He's been their second receiver on 90% of routes in that span because they've been in competitive games when they shouldn't have been in competitive games. So I, I don't know what fixes or what the hell's going on with the Bucs finishing drives. I mean, 14 targets for Chris Godwin for 43 scoreless yards. That was like bad. as bad of, of a run out you could possibly add. And we can't even blame like Leonard Fournette. I'm looking uh, 21 of the 27 series for the Bucks started with the pass. So yep. I, I don't know what, what's what's going on here. They did, like, I think, uh, punt on a couple times where they should, probably should have been more aggressive. Um, so really, I think it's probably Tom Brady's worst game. I'm expecting that when I go back to watch this. Um, but after the game, I wanted to bring this up uh, real quick, Josh. Uh, there was a, a coach quotes out there, um, and it reads uh, that they are in a dark place. It's from Todd Bowles, and then they want to see if uh, if the uh, older guys can still play and if the younger guys 
are good enough to play. Now, there's a lot of old guys on this roster. I don't know which ones he's talking about. I don't know if this is a Rashad White tweet, if this is somebody on the defense tweet. I don't know what's going on here, but that is as bad as it gets, and rightfully so, losing to the Panthers. Uh, and this game wasn't even that competitive. I follow a lot of Bucks beat writers or fans of the team. They're putting a lot of this on Byron Leftwich as a play caller, mm-hmm. too. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you have the Tom Brady stuff, which was very evident this week that he didn't want to get hit, and he unloads these passes, so on and so forth. I still think he's accurate and making some downfield throws, but maybe that's just not enough with this team, and maybe that didn't happen in this game. But even what you said, Dave, because I saw the same thing, a 75-yarder, maybe it changes things, but like it probably doesn't. This is just a broken team at the moment, and I don't know if there's like a fix that's walking through the door because even if they do turn to Rashad White more than Leonard Fournette, how much does that really change? Yeah, what does that do? Fournette's been their best player this year. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know who he, who he was referencing. I saw somebody talk about like Shaq Mason. I, I think a lot of this is Tom Brady's been pretty upset at the interior line. Obviously, all the retirements and injuries and all that stuff has been a problem. Probably a, a big reason why they can't run the ball, but. It's it's nuts because like Tom Brady's not getting sacked ever. Like right. he dropped back fifty times, got sacked once. So it, maybe it's just like they can't throw the ball downfield, um, and they run bad just because of that Mike Mike Evans drop. And I've talked about this. It feels like every single show over the last few weeks. But when they won the Super Bowl and went to the Super Bowl, they had an awesome defense, and the offense caught up to it. But when your defense allows the Panthers to score twenty three points, like you don't have a good defense. Like that, that was a big letdown for them here today. Maybe it gets better and maybe it's allowing them to, but they've won one of the last four games. And then they have the Ravens, the Rams and the Seahawks coming up. Are they the first team? No, they're not the first team with the Browns. Uh, Deshaun Watson comes back the week after they play the Browns, I believe. But um, man, okay. I'll ask you this, Hayden. On the opposite end. Are these fool's gold performances that we got from Deontay Foreman, 15 carries, 118 yards. From DJ Moore, 10 targets, 7 receptions, 69 yards, and a score. I will say that the DJ Moore stuff, I think, is quite promising because I think the quarterback play could only get better than what it was early on, and they legitimately have nobody to throw the ball to. Terrace Marshall uh, earns three targets here as, I believe, a full-time player. None of the other players deserve any targets. They can't earn it. So I think DJ Moore is going to get peppered with targets. I think he's going to be somewhere we were talking about in the fantasy usage model where he's going to be like top 15 in usage and he's not paying off that frequently, but he, he obviously had a huge game here. So um, I think DJ Moore is probably a reasonable buy low. I don't think I would just call him a sell high off this one game. I think the volume is going to be pr- pretty legit. With so many injuries and bye weeks still too, like the running backs will naturally end up in lineups, whether they're good plays or not. Like it's just, yeah. you have, you have to play them, especially in 12 team leagues. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I'll keep going out there and saying that they'll disappoint, but like you're saying, they'll end up in a bunch of lines because of a flex of a flex. You just have you know? to. I mean, people, people were playing Latavius Murray because you literally have to, you need an RB three in some spots. Mm. Okay. One more game to go, and it is the Houston Texans losing to the Las Vegas Raiders. Again, we did not watch this game. Biggest question that I have is if the Raiders are fixed. Derek Carr, 21-27, 241 in a score. If they put up 38 points, and maybe that's the ceiling for Adams of 95 yards, Hunter Renfro for 55 yards, because um, Darren Waller did not play. I know it's a Josh Jacobs show, but 
is this who they are? You know, are we never just going to get a huge onslaught of passing performances when heading into this season? We thought that this was a possibility. I mean, they're putting up huge point totals like over the last month of the season, like 38 today, 29 against the Chiefs, uh, 32 against the Broncos, and then 22 and 23 points. So, I mean, I think this offense is is pretty, pretty solid. Um, I think they'll only get better in what's always called like a notoriously hard offense to pick up uh, because of the coaching staff. So I think that this thing will just continue to, to rock. And right now, Josh Jacobs is like the man. <laughs> the absolute man dunking on every fantasy analyst to ever live three consecutive hundred yard games for Jacobs. He Thanks. said in his presser afterwards that at times he felt like he went four or five yards without being untouched. And I'm here to tell him it's true. He had a career high in yards before <laughs> contact today because of this putrid Texans defense. The Raiders just pushed them all around. Uh, all three of Jacobs touchdowns also came in the second half today as they just put it away and iced the game that way. So overall, Yes, Jacobs has been amazing. That's what helps him out. But this is never one we were worried about to begin with. Yeah, it feels like the Texans are battling with the Panthers to be the team with the first pick in this draft. And it looks like on the stat sheet that Damian Pierce only had 92 yards and 20 carries. I thought he looked decent from all the pop-ups that I saw with him pressing the right, cutting up and doing Damian Pierce stuff. But, you know, your ceiling can be capped when your team just totally sucks. I will well, say I think, that he, he does get targets he, despite not yeah. playing the passing downs. Like he, he is getting some early down targets as well. It was still 24 touches in a game. They were down by two scores, like pretty early on in the second half. That's so great. like you'll take, yeah, absolutely. You'll take that every time. I think that's very positive. Okay. I believe we had hit on everything. It was an awful week for injuries. It was. I yeah. mean, truly we didn't even cover all of them. So the people that will one John Daigle, in his waiver wire column on Tuesday slash Monday evening. Daigle, tell them where they can find it. 44.com. If you DM me, I know for a fact because some people from last week's show DM me. There we, we go. Still get you, we can still get you 25% off to read the column. All the injuries will be covered in it. You will see Marquis go on Paris Campbell to even deeper. I'll even write up Ty Johnson in there. Um, every player to cover you for bye weeks and injuries. 44.com. Marquis Goodwin, all of them. Hayden, that's where we'll we're also at. Have, week seven, Josh. Week eight, I guess now. Hayden will also have a 10 to 15 minute waiver show with Sosa on our feed on Monday. Then we got shows the rest of the week, you know, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, all that good stuff. So if you want some evergreen content, go and check out Scheme from last week with my show with Josh McCown. It's pretty fun with Josh Allen and uh, Patrick Mahomes. Some positivity to wash you away from all the negativity that was. Week seven. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. Tell one friend about the damn channel. Our challenge to you. We appreciate it. Everyone in the chat, Jack, Jerry, Robert, Mad, Dave, up the villa. They won four nothing today, ladies and gentlemen. See y'all soon. <laughs>